Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Well, this evening, we will begin with the Vesper service, which always begins the next day. We will begin in the Byzantine Catholic Church, in the Eastern Lung of the Church, the Byzantine preparation for Christmas, the Byzantine Advent, which we call the Philip's Fast. It's called Philip's Fast because it begins on the ending of the day of the Feast of St. Philip the Apostle. It has nothing to do with him. It's just for some reason it took on that name because it begins on his feast day or as his feast day ends. Maybe it's just a good way to remember it or something. But anyway, it has nothing to do with the apostle himself. But it begins on November 14th or that evening because that's 40 days before Christmas. And this Christmas fast, this period of penance known in the Western church as Advent, is very much like the great fast of, well, that precedes Pascha, Easter Sunday. In other words, the Lenten season. It's like a lesser Lent, but it's still very much like a Lent. You see, in the church, East and West, the way to prepare for a great feast, the coming of a special guest in that feast, such as now the coming of our Lord in the flesh, the way to prepare is by cleaning house. That's just what you do anyway. When you are going to have a great event at your home, you clean house, right? You put out your best Well, it's the same thing for us, only spiritually, but also physically, too. We clean house by a period of penance. Now, penance requires abstinence of various forms from food and also other things. But it also, in lieu of abstinence, which basically is making room, it's making, in a sense, a kind of like a holy, healthy vacuum. Into that vacuum should rush, then, good things, better things, sometimes lesser things, but better like less of this, less of that, so as to open up more space for something better, more of this and more of that. Okay, what I mean by that is, whenever we experience a penitential season, it's not just about doing some kind of spiritual torture or some kind of self-inflicted pain and suffering, you know, fasting from things and 
pulling back from things. It's not only that. That's part of the discipline, but there's a point to it. It's a means to an end. We call it asceticism. The ascetical disciplines are a means to an end. And that end is to, as I just mentioned, is to, in a sense, make more room for God, therefore more room for our real self. We pull back from all that is not necessary, all that is actually a kind of excessive in our lives. And we have a lot of that. See, whenever you enter a penitential period, we don't really understand, we don't really fully appreciate or are aware of how much superfluous stuff we have in our lives. Really, something that's, well, not really contributing to us. It's kind of like nonsense. The great Catholic inspirational writer and speaker, Matthew Kelly, would say, always ask yourself, in every movement, every move you make and every moment, ask yourself, will this make me a better version of myself or not? If it is, then choose it. Choose to do it or choose to abstain from it. Maybe abstaining from something makes you a better version of yourself. But we should ask ourselves that in every moment, in every thought, every action. Matthew Kelly has a great way of putting holiness and aesthetical disciplines. You know, in other words, age-old wisdom of the church is a great way of putting that into contemporary terms. He uses things like the best version of yourself, which basically means growing in holiness. We would say in the Eastern churches, divinization or theosis. So what we do is we, during the penitential period, we prepare by cleaning house by asking ourselves that question. Will this action, will this food make me a better version of myself? In other words, will it open myself up, my soul, my attention? Will it open me, my real self up more to God, more to my real self? See, it's not just a matter of God himself. Of course, that would be enough, but it's also opening to our real selves. In order to do that, we have to get things out of the way. We have to get the clutter out of the way. This is a time where there's a lot of taking on. You know, a lot of food, a lot of baking, a lot of presents, a lot of buying, a lot of things. And, and that's not bad. That's, I know it's, it's part of the expression of the season, the abundance of God's love. But at the same time, since we take on more, it's probably a good idea to get rid of things, to divest ourselves of things. See, this Philip's fast, this period of penance, which was very serious in the church centuries ago. I mean, it still should be. It's basically still serious, but not like it was centuries ago. This whole period was marked by a lot of divesting, not only of foods, in other words, meat and dairy products, and you can do that Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, or you can go the whole 40 days, but at least Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, back off on the meat and the dairy products, in other words, the fatty things, things that are used for celebration, and also back off of a lot of things, and in that space, you insert more prayer, more contemplation, more spiritual reading, more silence more charity, more thinking of someone. You know, the old custom Christmas cards. Maybe send a card to someone you haven't really contacted in a long time. Or maybe someone you had a little falling out with or something. Things like that. It's a time of actual renewal. And it starts with renewing ourselves and our habits. Centuries ago, in the Latin rite, they would actually cover the altar area. It would, they had like a canopy over the altar. They actually would cover that with a curtain during the Advent season. And there would actually be abstinence from the Eucharist. That's right. I know it's a big thing to talk about daily Eucharist, especially in the Western church, which is wonderful. It's fine. But at that time, during the Advent period, centuries ago, this would be like during the Middle Ages, the early Middle Ages, 
in the Western church, they actually would go without Eucharist. And then they would return to the Eucharist, pull back the veil from the altar during Christmas, because this was all part of something that's similar to what happens during Lent and the Paschal season. Underneath it all, there is a spousal mystery there. In other words, it's like we're preparing for the coming of the bride to wed himself with the bridegroom, the church, both in Christmas and also during the Paschal season. And so we prepare, we seal off that which has to do with the spousal mystery to an extent, and we prepare for that moment. See, in the Eastern churches, especially you find this out because the preparation we make for major feast days, and even for the liturgy, is like preparing for a wedding. How often can you prepare for a wedding? Can you have a wedding every single day? Well, maybe in a sense you can, mystically. For instance, having daily Eucharist, yes, it is obviously possible. But there's also another way to prepare for a wedding, and that is to spend a good part of the week preparing for the big event of the wedding, which happens on Sunday, or a pre-festive period preparing for the wedding feast that happens on the feast itself, such as Christmas, the birth of our Lord. So think of it as preparing for a wedding. And why would I use the term wedding or spousal mystery? Well, it's because it's really a matter of, and if you think about it, think about what happened. Think about what we're really celebrating. The Nativity of Christ is not just about the Nativity. It's about the mystery of the Incarnation, the great mystery, hidden from all times and now revealed. And we are the privileged recipients of that. We are in the era of the revelation of that mystery. Imagine, not even the Old Testament figures lived in that privileged time. Moses and Noah, the great figures of the Old Testament, did not live in the privileged time of the revelation of the great mystery. We do. And that mystery is basically this. God created for himself a bride. And in the fullness of time, he came and entered into in a sense, like a marriage or a spousal union with that bride. And that is us. That's basically it's his whole creation, but come to its fullness in the church, which is us. So that's why I use the term spousal mystery for these feast days, because it really is like a marriage. God makes a bride. He creates a bride for himself and then enters into relationship with that bride, makes a promise to her, a covenant, just like in marriage, you make a covenant together, you make a covenant to love and live for each other forever, right? Well, it's the same thing with the relationship between God and us, especially at the great mystery of the Incarnation. God weds himself to us and promises always to be with us and asks us to be with him, to trust him, just as a couple does when they get married. And that's why in this upcoming feast of the Incarnation, we also call it in Eastern churches the great kenosis, the emptying of God, the great condescension, the lowering of God. When we celebrate that, it's very similar to our celebration of Christ's death and resurrection. It's all a spousal mystery. It's a mystical marriage. And so we prepare very hard for a marriage, don't we? Oh, there's so much preparation for a marriage, isn't there? All of you who have been married know that. Or if maybe you're getting married, maybe you're planning a marriage, or maybe you're going to have a marriage in the family. You certainly know what I'm talking about. There's so much to prepare for, and it doesn't happen overnight. And there's a buildup to it till you come to that moment of the actual wedding. Well, it's the same thing in the church, and the church's liturgical feast day, such as the one coming up, the birth of our Lord, the great incarnation. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about this preparatory period known in the Byzantine church as the Philip's Fast, in the Western church known as Advent. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you I'm Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Kostka, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago. And you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality, and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. As we are in this preparatory period for the Nativity of our Lord, the Great Incarnation, the kenosis, the self-emptying, the condescension, the divine condescension. See all these terms we have in the Eastern Church? We have a lot of terms for things in the Eastern Church. More is always better for us. But it all means the one thing. It means that mystery of God becoming enfleshed as a human person while remaining God. And he did it all the way from the beginning, from conception the wound all the way to his death on the cross and his resurrection. But during this time of this preparation, as I mentioned, it's basically like preparing for a wedding. But we also are preparing for a very, very special wedding. So we, as I mentioned, we clean house. We clean house because the guest, the great guest, the bridegroom is coming to wed his bride. So we clean house, we prepare. And we do that by fasting, no meat or dairy, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. Or you can go the whole 40 times from November 14th through the evening of December 24th, which is a great fasting tradition, traditional meal in the Byzantine church. Or you could just do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or at the very least, Friday. But do something that 
helps you to say no to yourself, to your appetites, our fallen passions, but not just with food. As I mentioned earlier, go into every area of your life and start to get rid of things, do less of things. Now you grab that phone first thing in the morning and the last thing at night and every moment in between. Well, just don't go to that phone right away. Make little goals like that. Well, I'm not going to go to that phone right away. In fact, I'm going to put it in a different room or something, so I'm not tempted by it. I'm going to do less of the phone, less of the computer, less of idle talk. Again, creating space for more worthy things, things that really help make us the best version of ourselves. Now, in speaking about the Eucharist, sometimes people ask me, well, don't you have daily Eucharist in the Byzantine church? Well, the answer is, as always, in the both and. It's yes and no. <laughs> First of all, daily Eucharist is a good thing, of course, but it's not always possible, especially in the Eastern churches, because for one thing, sometimes Eastern churches are very scattered around. They're very sparse, and they don't always have a full-time priest. Can't always have a priest every day at every church. So you can't have Eucharist every day. Also, think of the great monastic traditions, the great monks of the Eastern Church. They were the spiritual masters. You know, they were the, the Delta Force and Navy Seals of the Church. They were the ones that went where no one dared to go spiritually into the really terrific, extreme rigors of asceticism, fasting, and prayer, memorizing the Bible, certainly all the Psalms they had memorized, all 150 of them. It's incredible. Some of their stories of great humility. They had great powers, many of them, to heal, great deal of wisdom, all by their ascetical monastic discipline. And many of them did not have access to the Eucharist. In fact, St. Mary of Egypt, she went off to the desert to do penance for 40 years before she was discovered by a priest. She asked him to come back the next year to give her Eucharist. She, he did. And then she said, come back again. He did. And she had died. She died after she received Eucharist the year earlier from that priest. It's a great, great story called St. Mary of Egypt, which we tell during the fifth week of Lent in the Byzantine Church, during the St. Andrew of Crete service. It's a highly dramatic, marvelous, high-level narrative and dialogue between the priest Zosimus and Mary of Egypt. I always think when I hear it, it could be a great opera, a great play, very dramatic, very beautiful, very high quality. If I had a lot of money, I would hire some famous composer and people to write some kind of an opera, a play, a musical of St. Mary of Egypt. Read up on her if you can, St. Mary of Egypt. But she was an example of someone who became very holy through extreme penance and prayer and didn't have the Eucharist. Now, I'm not minimizing the value of the Eucharist. I'm simply saying that in the church, to answer the question, do we have Eucharist every day in the Eastern churches, that sometimes we do not. Sometimes the great saints did not. They did not have access to it. And it's also the case with some, some churches that are in outlying areas and villages and so on. So sometimes daily Eucharist is not possible. And also, many Eastern churches have a married clergy. And the custom, the rule basically with married clergy is that the married priest and his wife are to abstain from relations prior to the priest celebrating the Eucharist. So they didn't always have daily liturgy for, I think you would think, would be obvious reasons. Now, they had it during the week, but they didn't always have it for obvious reasons. But also, another reason is because the approach to the Eucharist and liturgy in the Eastern churches is usually a little more elaborate, a little more complicated. So it's a little harder to pull off in short terms or just in every little place. See, the Latin rite, and again, it's part of their genius for being very, very portable, very great at evangelizing, bringing the truth, the Mass, the Eucharist to the world. 
the structure of the Mass in the Western Church is such that it can be a little bit more portable. It can be done in a shorter time frame with a little bit simpler apparatus to it. In the Eastern Churches, it's kind of a more of an elaborate type of situation. So it needs a lot of stuff. It needs a lot of fuss, and it needs more time. Usually, It usually takes at least around an hour, somewhere in that vicinity, sometimes more. Even if we try, it's just not possible. So it, it's different approaches to the Eucharist, and as always, remember one thing. In the East and the West, we always arrive at the same thing, the same reverence, the same holiness, the same basic belief but we arrive at it at different ways. And there are different ways to arrive at the same thing that are all legitimate. The emphasis of the liturgy being a big deal and having to prepare for it, then maybe not even being able to have it every day as a result, is just as legitimate as having the liturgy or the Mass in the Latin Rite having access to the Eucharist every day. There is access to the Eucharist every day depending on the situation and the parish in the Eastern churches. But it's not always possible, and it's not as much of a, maybe shall I say, imperative as it is in the West. And again, this does not minimize the importance of the Eucharist. East and West both have equal reverence for the Eucharist. It's just that they come at it in slightly different ways. And that's the beauty of the church, the beauty of the church East and West. And that beauty of a church East and West, both lungs breathing together, but complementary, is precisely the very mission of this program, Light of the East. In our day and age, I think that one of the most important fastings or abstinence that we can do is, yes, part of it is always with foods, but more so with habits. We are a society that gets rather easily addicted or close to that, almost obsessed with things, things that stimulate us things that entertain us, our, our cell phones, iPhones, Androids, whatever you want to call them, whatever you have, television, the computer. Do you realize how much time is spent in our day with our eyes in front of a screen of some kind? And what's happening with that is a lot of it, now this is outside of those of you who work in front of a computer most of the day, which most people do today. Aside from that, our time is spent so much in front of screens that we start to believe or feel that we can't live without it. We almost become, in a sense, addicted to it. In fact, those that invented the iPhones, they said that what they wanted to do was to create something not necessarily that people would need, but they would come to think they can't live without. Now, that's very clever capitalism. And it worked, didn't it? We almost think we can't live without our phones. Ever been, well, I'm sure you've been in crowds on trains or buses or anywhere, and you see how many people right away are on their phones, bent necks, you know, bent down, looking at their phones, fooling around with their phones. Everybody's on their phones, no matter where they are, all the time. You go to a ball game, everybody's on their phones. I was amazed one time I went to a play. In fact, it was a musical Hamilton one time. And when intermission came and the lights went on, I was amazed to see how many, I was way up on the, like in the nosebleed section, which actually, believe it or not, by the way, that's a great way to see that play, Hamilton, because it's, it has a lot of, of staging, a lot of very ingenious, intricate staging and lighting. So it's actually good to see it in nosebleed seats, actually. And you hear it perfectly well in today's theaters. So I was way up high so I could see down at the crowd. And I was amazed that when the lights went on at the intermission, how many phones were in people's hands, already lit up, ready to go. It was incredible. 
seeing that bird's eye view. And I realized, my goodness, how we are, if not addicted, we act as though we can't live without those phones for a second. And we don't even realize it. So back away from it. It's not that it's bad. It's just that our way of approaching it can become like, like false gods, too consuming. So pulling back during this Philip's fast, or if you want to call it the Advent season, pulling back from certain foods is good, but most especially pull back from all those habits of our day that occupy so much of us, that take away time that we could really have for God, for contemplation, for hearing the voice of God within us, and for hearing our own voice. One of the reasons we live with so much din, a lot of people don't know what the word din means today. Din means useless, constant noise. I think we live with that because we're afraid. We're afraid to hear our own voice, our own honesty within us. We're afraid to hear the voice of God. That's what I think, because we keep drowning it out. You can't even pump gas in peace. There's a screen that comes on and things are talking to you, talking at you. I just want to say, be quiet. I wish I could turn this thing off. Let me pump my gas in peace. You just can't get away from the din. And that's the beauty and really the wisdom behind this Phillips fast. Pull back, clean house in every level, every area of our life, even physically, even our physical house, junk. Pull back spiritually, pull back psychologically. Get away from the addictions, the false gods. Change your eating habits. Add more prayer, more silence, more charity, more reading, more contemplation. Let's begin this Phillips fast in earnest because we so dearly need this kind of spiritual discipline in our world today. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. We need EWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.